Um, you're just going to continue a bit and then question and answer. Yes. No. Okay. Uh, it's question and answer. No, it's okay. open. Okay, so we'll we'll open the floor to questions questions on the back of um, the first lecture. So um, questions. Now uh, let me start and then okay. Uh, we have talked about the exchange of present good and future good as this was or used to be the uh, original problem of interest, how it arose, what's the nature and so on and then I said that this was quite inadequate and we have to start from a new beginning. Now, now we come back because after all we say that there is a role for exchanging present and future wealth. So, uh, let me ask you, uh, we talked about this as a kind of nonsensical problem or a, non, a phantom problem because nobody has ever exchanged one apple today for one and one-tenth of an apple a year from now. Nobody, this is, or even one apple today for two apples a hundred years from now. I mean, <laughs> these are phantom exchanges. So how come that all of a sudden we make a turn and say, but after all, there is need for... So, uh, would you comment on that? Um, that makes sense, but only if the, the, the good is, is the monetary good. But, um, so you can only talk about that if it's the, if it's the numeraire as it were. Yes. Uh, so that substance which everybody agrees is the common medium of exchange. So if you replace apples with gold then it would make sense. That's what I would say. <laughs> well I would like to put it in the context of this. In this square model the various combinations of partnerships which are possible would create present wealth, future wealth, and they arise naturally. For instance, we did, we did say something about creating present wealth, right? Mm -hmm. In uh, the partnership up there. Okay? And there is the future wealth done here. And these are, these are real examples. It's not like exchanging a present apple for a future apple. Um, and, and therefore, I think we just have to think it through. That at this level, I mean, not at the level 
very beginning, given some present due, then you exchange it for future due. This is too simplistic and not realistic. But once you develop your capital market and realize that there are more poles than just two, then all of a sudden this will make sense. All right, let's go to questions. Keith. Yeah, so just um, thinking about my own experiences, I can see the partnership between the at hand and the inventor as typically family and sometimes also friends and fools. You've got the inventor working away in the garage and uh, you know the spouse and maybe other you know, mom, dad will, will fund it hoping that it will go somewhere and uh, typically unfortunately they're sub-marginal and they don't. Uh, occasionally they do. Um, I don't really see or understand the partnership between the new attempt and the new attempt. A new attend wants to give up present wealth and get an income, but I don't see the new attend's need for present wealth other than for consumption purposes. But I think the purpose of credit is for production, not to buy TVs. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't see that partnership between the new attend and the new attend. Okay, that's a very good point, and uh, you are quite right because I didn't comment on that. And uh, actually, this partnership does come in uh, because we all agree that the horizontal partnerships are productive and they are very important uh, part, uh, parts of the whole picture. However, they are all assuming that the exchange, that the individuals are free to exchange. And this is, this is not a realistic assumption in the view of history. Because individuals have been hampered in their efforts to find the best possible exchanges by canonical and secular laws. And that's just not only usury laws, but also over-regulation of industries and so on and so forth. So, under what conditions would that vertical partnership come into force? Well, I would say if these extraneous forces stamp out all possible exchanges, so say the usury laws set this uh, uh, interest too high, then there will be no, no ways of forming these horizontal partnerships. However, when this happens, the uh, annuitant and the annuitant form their own partnership. They are not 
uh, rendered helpless by the secular and canonical authorities because the annuitant can provide the income what the annuitant needs in exchange for the wealth. In other words, they fall back from the indirect exchange to direct exchange of wealth and income. And this is something we have talked about already quite a lot, right? So these guys are not helpless. They can bring all the laws and regulations and so on. They will be able to achieve their purpose regardless. <clears throat> However, on the other hand, this other partnership is helpless if they cannot make the exchange. You see? So all these usury laws and regulations and over-regulations and what have you, which hamper the free exchange of individuals, will hit society, but will not frustrate the original purpose of providing income for old age or education of children or uh, reserve funds in the case of uh, health problems and so on, which is very important as we know as individuals, you see. So all these usury laws and so on are, are harmful for society. Whereas they don't uh, make it impossible for the uh, annuitant and annuitant to reach their goal. So, so is it fair to say that the partnership between the annuitant and the annuitant is hoarding and dishoarding? Yeah. That the no. annuitant is hoarding, so he's buying the silver off of the annuitant. And the new attack is dishoarding and getting income. Yes, but there's also this other thing that even if they can go beyond hoarding, the two of them can form a partnership. I mean, you know, it's, it takes one person to hoard and dishoard and then the problem is solved. But if these two make a partnership that will mean an improvement. So what's the partnership? I'm, I'm not seeing it. Well, it's efficiency. It will be more efficient. I mean, okay, you are an isolated individual and you want to provide for old age, then you can hoard and in the harvest years you dishoard. Okay, but uh, we already discussed this, that if you could reduce the number of years of hoarding, 
by entering into an exchange, then you could, during this time, become far more efficient as a businessman of, you know, self-employed businessman or, or various other things. In other words, that's very primitive, hoarding and disfording. This great uh, uh, possibility for improvement if you have this partnership. So in that partnership, can you attend somebody who's working for wages but wants to open his own shop? So he gets the, he's not really an entrepreneur, but he wants to be his own baker instead of baking in someone else's bakery, so he gets the wealth from the annuitant. Yeah, you could say that. Okay. Uh, but, but now, just, uh, I'm uh, talking about the vertical partnership of the annuitant and annuitant on the one hand, and the uh, vertical partnership of the entrepreneur and the in inventor. And think of it as they are bargaining. Now, the fact is that the bargaining power of the left partnership is is greater because if they cannot agree they are not frustrated okay whereas the other is so the, this applies not only to the extreme cases that no exchange between the two par vertical partnerships but we just have to accept it, that it's a nature-imposed limitation. It's, uh, as long as we are all mortals and subject to the limitations of old age and so on, as long as this is true, there will be a lack of symmetry. This is not bargaining in the, what's the word, in the sense of uh, complete symmetry, okay? Because of this nature given limitation, that if no agreement can be reached, the left vertical partnership is not frustrated, but the other one is. We just have to see that. So all this, uh, uh, all this uh, pious talk about, uh, you know, don't treat labor as a commodity and all this kind of thing sounds good, but we have to agree that there is such a thing as limitations imposed on us as human beings or even a human society which makes that partnership stronger than the other. We, we just 
cannot help. This is because we are all mortals. And therefore there is no symmetry. Okay? And, and this is an important part of the whole argument. We just have to accept that. This is not a matter of faith that our church says this and, you know, because <laughs> our church cannot change the fact that we are going to die. It's another story which will start after death. But as long as we are alive, we are subject to this limitation. Uh, I don't know if, if I made it clear. Perhaps you could add a few words to this lack of symmetry in the bargaining between these two vertical partnerships. I'm really sorry. Yeah. I'd like to put a couple of words in there. The guy with the present wealth has an option to disorder or to swap with the other guy. Now why would he swap? You see, the only reason is if he gets more back than he puts up, which is some interest. So there's an incentive for him to do that. Okay. I get that, I don't care so what well, interest. Well, let me just, let me follow through. Because the, 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 the one who makes the income wants cash now to start his business. The one who has the cash now says, okay, I'll give it to you in return for a consideration. I gain, they both gain. And going to the other side, they have to, the entrepreneur and the inventor have to show an even larger gain. So we can, we can assume the incentive to give this money to that side comes in if they're more efficient and they create a lot more future wealth. And that's what the jet engine did. Clearly it made a boom rather than just kind of eke along. So you go from crawling, you know, to running, to flying. I guess my confusion was in thinking of the newest hand as a wage earner looking to start saving. Mm -hmm. Then he does, there's no reason for him to want to pay any interest. So as soon as you say he wants to start his own shop, then I was confused thinking, well, maybe that's entrepreneur. Well, it's a rule. But so it's, it's, it's not, he's, not, he's not acting as a new attend if he wants to open his own shop, unless he makes a distinction, which modern markets do, someone who wants to open a pizza store versus someone who wants to start the next Google. The next Google is entrepreneur. The guy that wants the pizza shop has a job with a little bit of capital. So maybe that's the new hand in this case. That's right, and that's where the inventor comes in. He brings along this next generation of technology that will give much, much higher returns than just the bakery. But the bakery already gives more return than being a baker. Well, the new hand wants to be a baker, wants to have a little bake shop. He's not really an entrepreneur. That's right. He does, have, he does have a need for wealth and a, and a rational reason to pay interest on it. Was, was the thing I was there is always an incentive, and if the incentive is missing, or if barriers are put in, well, there's a fallback position to this exchange. And if even that is impossible, then you go back to hoarding your own stuff and this it. So, right. Keith, just think about your point as the Anuikanda decide to take one year off of work and get more educated, so it is wealth to sustain himself for that year. So the next year is able to gain more income because it's a more skilled the world. Okay. That can be an idea. 
So, so there are cases where he's not really an entrepreneur. He's not an entrepreneur. He is borrowing for productive purposes. Okay, that's that was the thing I was missing. Louis? No, I, I love this model. <laughs> I really thank you greatly for it. Which one? The, the, well, square. improved the, the square model. Square, you know, okay. And, and all the relationships. And it just strike me that um, the Anuitan, the Anuitan's relationship is uh, what uh, gave birth to the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. Simple. Yeah, yeah. That's a very so good observation. Is the retired person who's got this wealth yeah. buys an annuity from the insurance company yeah. and gets this income yeah. for life? Okay. Yeah, well, that's this income for life is funded by the insurance company because people, you know, are willing to insure during their life mm -hmm. as well. So one is one type of risk outliving your source of income that you transfer to the insurance company, but. To me, rather than trying to identify two individuals that you're trying to do, um, a new attempt and a new attempt, try and see it as uh, an insurance, a, a, a more um, um, aggregate relationship yeah. in society. So, the, really, the partnership between these two on the left yeah. is exhaust the notion of insurance. So an insurance contract yeah, yeah. comes into, it really disguise for the word insurance which I didn't put in, and thank you very much. This is an important improvement. And it goes back to your excellent point that uh, <laughs> it's because of uh, the cycle of human life. Yeah. Okay, let me just uh, say this, that how many ways can capital be formed? I'm asking the question. The answer is four ways. One is the individual artisan. Could be a fisherman, could be a hunter, could be something more sophisticated than that. If this artisan takes time out to develop his own tools. So the fisherman, the net, the hunter, the uh, bow and arrow, or something like that. In other words, he has to take time out of the time which he could otherwise use for production in order to develop the tools with which he can do that production uh, successfully. Now that's clear and it's also clear that in our society this plays almost no role whatsoever because uh, practically nobody uh, no artisan uh, creates his own tools. He would build up surfaces and then buy the tools. And this means, of course, a great efficiency. In other words, this first form of capital formation can be ignored for our purposes. 
because it no longer plays a role. It used to play a very important role. But of course, if our world is destroyed by nuclear weapons, and so we might have to go back to the soft stone age and start to learn <laughs> making our tools again. But let's hope this won't happen, so we can ignore the first as no longer uh, significant. Now the second uh, way of forming capital we have already discussed. It's the top horizontal partnership and also the bottom horizontal partnership. And in fact we can qualify it because the top partnership forms what kind of capital? Entrepreneurial. Uh, Entrepreneurial. The bottom one. Or the, the Entrepreneurial. R&D. Yeah, this is. Uh, didn't we give it a name? Entre yeah, entrepreneurial capital and R&D capital. So le let's have a little talk about that. What could you give an example of entrepreneurial capital, and then also an example of R&D capital? Could, could you rename entrepreneurial capital like capital on the move? Because the real capital is uh, owned by the annuitant. When you meet the entrepreneur, the capital starts being on the move. Mm. And so it's more productive. And the same for research and development. So the knowledge is in, in the brain of the inventor. Mm. And when he meets the annuitant, his uh, research and knowledge on the move that becomes capital. It's like gold when stored and when it's uh, in user's money. Mm. It is analogy. Mm. This is a question? No, this is just a statement. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Now, I'm asking you for an example of entrepreneurial capital. So, private equity? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, it could be just a simple uh, carpenter shop. Simple carpenter shop or a more sophisticated uh, corporation. When you have the saver to come up with the capital, then the entrepreneur is in business because they form entrepreneurial capital. Yeah, so that's easy. Almost all uh, these productive enterprises are based on an entrepreneurial capital. So let's go to the other one. I'm asking you for examples of R&D capital. Well, that's venture capital. Hmm? You, venture capital, that's where you finance something, hopefully in a year or two a new technology will be developed and then you then yeah. put it into business, into production. Right. You, this is a good example. However, I suggest in a way it's an extreme. This venture capital... No, that's, not, that's not coming from a new hand. So we should, yeah. I'm just talking about the capital. 
Oh, they, 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 uh, for the inventor to, to come up with the process. The entrepreneur goes in business right away, but uh, the inventor is going to take time to develop his new process. The, the entrepreneurial capital capital was the present income to to future wealth. So it's it's like the wife who supports the husband in the garage. Or this could be a researcher employed at a university. Yeah. The university is providing him an income. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking of something more down to earth. You know, I mean, there are various degrees of risks. Various degrees of risks involved. When Rudy talks about the uh, venture capitalist, this is perhaps the highest risk. But there are examples of R&D capital when uh, the risk is minimal or non-existent. I can think of an example. For example, uh, there is, they invent a new drug, medicine. Okay? Uh, and they know it works, but they don't yet have the purity of material. <laughs> the, uh, the purity of uh, narcotics comes to mind, but obviously there are corresponding, you know, to heroin is just a, a, a product of a, a purifying of opium. Yeah. But there must be something uh, in the pharmaceutical industry that they have a wonderful drug, but it's it's not pure enough. So it takes time to uh, uh, find the ways of purifying the drug and it may take several years. And the success is, is pretty secure. You, you, Nobody is taking any risks, but obviously it takes time, so somebody has to feed the inventor, which is not really an inventor, it's just a um, uh, laboratory worker, or even the chief uh, of the laboratory, and uh, then they come up with this uh, future, future uh, capital. Now, the third one, or fourth one, because, uh, you know, we dismissed the first, but we still have these two, and they're very much alive and kicking, these two. There is a third one, and this might be the most important. And I already said that in the previous uh, lecture, and the Mises uh, said wonderful words about that, which uh, I completely agree with, and that's the uh, triangle of uh, three partners. What are the three partners? Entrepreneur, um, capitalist, capitalist. Uh, inventor. Uh, inventor. You see, now unfortunately it's past 12, so we don't have time to give examples of that. But um, th just think about that, because this is the most important uh, 
way of creating capital, you see? And, uh, and uh, well, with this, I think we call it. So, uh, back at 2.30. Thanks very much. Uh,